So we're reading the Gospel of Peace together, the Jim Richards book, The Gospel of Peace, and, and some people didn't get started and wondering if, it, if they can start. And it's, it's, you, can, you can read it anytime. It's actually part of the reading for our journey. And if you're going to serve on any of our teams, especially in kind of leadership capacity, we always ask people to read that. Many of you have read it multiple times already. But as you know, we're going through it together as a church. Today's actually the last chapter, chapter 24. Um, and if you're watching online and you're part of the Facebook group, you can go to the post topics and click on the Gospel of Peace book club post topic, and every chapter is still there. And we're going to leave that there. If you're here and you didn't read it or you got behind and you're in the Facebook group, you can go back and still interact and read those comments and get the insight and all that. And it's just, it's just been really good. You know, I was talking to Tammy, and she's like, yes, this, this is why we are here doing what we're doing as she's, you know, going back through that book. So you had an experience, and um, I don't know if, we, if, I think it would be good to hear the quick version of that testimony. You good with sharing that one? <laughs> and, and, well, I just, but he's laughing because it's funny, but I mean, um, it's, it's, well, anyway, you'll hear. Yeah. Some of you have heard it. But then what you were talking about, what you got out of the one chapter, I think it was chapter 21. Yeah, so. Just, you know, just share what you were talking about this morning. In our, we get together and pray at 8.30 before church every week. And um, this came out today. And it was just, it was really good. Morning. Morning. Um, so the quick, uh, the quick testimony. I'll try. <laughs> so it was uh, probably six or seven years ago right before I started coming here, that um, I was at a, an all-time low of my entire life. I was living in my car. I did not have a job. I, I couldn't hardly make any money. Um, I was separated from my wife. And uh, <clears throat> it, was, it was a mess. And so I'd been working for this, fan, for this company for a little while, and I was delivering... Uh, <clears throat> fire extinguishers all over the southeast United States, driving all over the place, sleeping in my car, didn't know where I was. Just, it was pretty, it was kind of weird. And so I, I come back into town and I got, I got angry. I got angry at God <clears throat> because, you know, like I told him, I said, you know, I've been serving you for 40 years and this is what I get, you know. I'm in my car, I'm separated from my family. I got nothing. I can't provide for my family. I'm struggling big time. I'm really agitated. And so I just went off and <clears throat> I took my Bible and I ripped it in pieces and I flung it against the wall and I, I cursed the Lord out for a Stop while until I got, so I said, kind of calm down some a little bit. The way, now let me just say, the way you told that this morning was so much funnier. That's why I'm laughing up here. They're like, why is he laughing? Anyway, this, this, it, this it, is a real bad. moment. <laughs> So anyway, I shredded my Bible and then I flung it against the wall and kicked it around. And I, I just, I told the Lord, you know, if this is all you got, I can do better. Because I'm living in my car, I can do better than that. So, so I, I, I got done and I put my, I threw it in the dumpster, took my, my Bible and threw it in the dumpster. And I got in my car and I started across the parking lot. I got about 150 feet and the Lord said, and I have to say it was audible. I don't know. It was just me. So the Lord said, so Bob, do you feel better now? <laughs> and I went like, 
no, I really don't feel better now. I'm still mad. And, and he said, well, Bob, you're okay with me. And I went, what? After what I just did? You're okay with me? And he said, yeah, you're okay with me. And I just broke down and wept. And I stopped the car because I didn't want to crash. And, you know, <laughs> and, and I just broke down and wept because I'd never experienced that kind of love, even though I'd been walking with God for 40 years. I never experienced that kind of love before. And it just, it unraveled me. And so shortly after that, I started coming here. And um, that's kind of the, the end product of going through ch church for many, many years and um, never feeling like I really measured up and never felt like I could ever really do enough. And I did. I did as much as I could. I mean, I served and served and served. And it was never enough. Uh, and, and so I was reading in... Uh, in the uh, Gospel of Peace, the 21st chapter, and I opened it up and I just started reading and I went, oh man, this explains it. So it's talking about the error of Balaam. And the error of Balaam was that he felt because he was a prophet that he could go out and curse the people of God that were passing through this, the land. The king wanted him to curse the people of God so that he could, he could get some money. It was about gain. And, and then it went on to talk about uh, that he had felt because that he was a prophet that he could demean the people of God and curse the people of God. And then it went on to talk about how that's very prevalent in the church today. And, and most of you would say, well, I don't know that. But let me explain because it's, it's done like this. They use shame and they... And they use fear to get you to, to act and operate the way they think you should operate, which is um, they will say things like, well, if you don't do this, you're going to lose your household, or if you don't do this, or if you don't do it this way, then God's going to lift his hand of blessing from you. And if you don't do it the way I think you should do it, then you're going to come under a curse from God. Well, the, the good news is that's bad news. You don't, you don't, you don't uh, motivate people by uh, terrorizing them. You just don't. And the church has operated in this for as long as I've been saved, really, a long time. Uh, so it was liberating to me because when I saw that, I went like, that is exactly where I have been. That sums up actually who I was too, because that's what I used to try to get, you know, you go out and witness on the street and you tell them if you don't, you're gonna go to, you're gonna go to hell. That's, you're using fear to try to manipulate someone to get saved. It's backwards, folks, it's backwards. That's not how it works. God is love. He's not, he doesn't strike fear in our hearts. He loves us. He embraces us. He says, you're okay with me, Bob, after you just did something really stupid. <laughs> you know? That's the God that I love. That's the God that I serve. 
And that's the God that, you know, we, sh we should come to know. Not the one that strikes fear in our hearts, terrorizes us. That's not God. That's the devil. Yeah, amen. Thank you. And you moved out of your car, right? Yeah, I moved out of my car. Yeah, and, 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 not, and not every circumstance is exactly like you'd want it, but you're not terrorized by God anymore, or at least you, what you thought he was doing had been taught. You know, I think, I'm not sure if it's that chapter or a chapter around that, but it, it's, and I don't even know what verse it is. Maybe you can help me remember, but it's the, the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. You know, well-meaning Christians, church leaders, people that are, that are called into ministry don't know this freedom in Christ and so put these yokes of bondage on people. And Jesus called them whitewashed fences, you know, tombs and just dead. And, um, you, and I'm really not trying to attack the church, and Bob's not trying to attack the church, but we're just trying to set people free from the guilt and the shame and the manipulation that we have experienced in the past, and we think that it was godly. You know, somebody was reading a text to me recently that a friend of theirs sent, and it was... Ultimately, a call to repentance, right? Which, honestly, I think that's what the word in the body is in this day, is repent. For us, it's coming out as repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom of God. And other people, I think, are hearing God call the church to repentance, but it comes out through their mindsets and their filters of how they believe repentance should operate, right? So I think collectively we're hearing it. Some are just presenting it in a maybe mixed covenant way. But anyway, this person was reading this text to me, and this guy knows the word. You know, he's a leader, good fruit in his life in some areas, but he's kind of bound up, kind of, I say kind of. He's pretty bound up in sin in other areas. I just know some circumstances in this guy's life. But there's this back and forth in this text between legitimate truth of God desiring to call us out of darkness and into repentance, but then couched in this idea of, but if we don't, then God is going to judge the nation, or God is judging nations in this way, or will deal harshly with us in this way. And it's like, that person does not know this, the propitiation exchange that happened in Christ. God used to deal with the nation of Israel in that way, under that covenant, and when the nation of Israel drug God into battles. He had to uphold his end of the covenant. In other words, defending them against these other nations. But now all of the wrath of God towards sin has been satisfied in Christ. God is not judging nations. I, one, of the reason, one of the outcomes that I want to see of this series that we're in, this Repent and Believe the Gospel series, Repent and Believe the Good News of God's Kingdom series is that you are confident and can push back on that garbage. Because a lot of times what happens is legalistic people know the Word better than we do. And they will use it against you and you feel inferior as if you don't know what you're talking about. And then they move the goalposts and it's like you just get quiet. You're like, well, I'm just okay with where I am. I know the gospel, but they don't. But I ain't going to say nothing. You need to say something. Like, that's what I think 
the body needs to rise up against more than anything is mixture religion in the teaching that we're hearing. And I don't mean be rude and combative and all that stuff, but I mean at least be confident to come back and say, well, you know, you, you're, you're really undermining the finished work of Christ when you talk that way. Maybe they don't know, you know, maybe they don't know. And it's, you're probably not going to say, well, let me explain to you what propitiation means. And Jesus is the once and all, once and all, for all sin offering. And so now God is not angry and God has expelled his, all of his wrath within Christ. And then they're going to go, oh, I get it now. That's probably not going to happen. But it's worth planting that seed. Don't, don't, honestly, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but don't we do that? We get in these conversations with people and, and we get maybe either we don't want to pick the fight or we just get a little bit intimidated because we're not sure and so we just don't say anything. We need to say something. We need to push back with the gospel, push back with love and truth. That's our posture. But, but correcting that stuff because they are quick to jump and try to correct where they think we're wrong and it's not... It's not right and wrong. What you're doing is pushing back with the gospel. You're, you're saying, no, this is what Jesus did. This is what he accomplished. What you're saying is not how God treats us now because Jesus did this. They need to hear it because the people that they're preaching to and beating up need to hear it. We need to repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom of God. So we've been going through this series. You know, this is Jesus, Mark 1.15. He starts out, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In other translations and books, it says, Repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom of God. Quickly, I'm going to run through a little bit of a review and then jump into where we're going today. The time is fulfilled. The time is what was prophesied by Isaiah. We've gone back and looked at those in previous messages. About three or four weeks ago, we looked at that of when the light that shone in Zebulon, you know, the land of Zebulon and Naphtali saw a great light. And from that time on, the kingdom is at hand. And to the increase of that kingdom, there shall be no end. Jesus shows up and says, the time is fulfilled. What time? the time which the kingdom of God is at hand and continuing to increase. So repent, change the way that you think, and believe the good news, which is the kingdom is at hand. God's spirit is available in within us to minister and increase his kingdom. Not so that your external world will be perfect and rosy, but so that internally people will know that they have peace with God through Christ. So we talked about this idea of mindsets and mindsets, you know, our mindsets filter and, and, and taint what God is trying to say. And then we talked about fearing God, but not being afraid of him. When Jesus quoted Deuteronomy of fear the Lord, he said, worship the Lord. We're not, you shouldn't be afraid of God, but reverence and awe, have awe and respect for. We must base everything we believe about God on Jesus and his finished work. Then we kind of went into this idea, you're made righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. Praise God. 
And this whole series is really rooted in this idea, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, this exchange. You actually are righteous. You are not like Abraham in which righteousness was credited to you, credited to you. You have it. It's not on credit. You have it. You're not in debt. He's given it to you. Jesus paid the debt. So you could have it debt-free, righteousness, debt-free in full because of what Christ accomplished on your behalf. Which means because you're righteous and at right standing with God, He is not holding your sin against you. He's not keeping a records of wrong against you. Jesus nailed it to His cross and paid for it. Then last week we went into this thing. Jesus didn't die, just, just die for you, but as you. And this great exchange, and we, we looked at... Uh, Where's the verse that we looked at? This one here. Colossians 2.11. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And, you know, we, made, we talked about this idea of putting off the body of the sins of the flesh Flesh there is the word sarks. There's four applications for the word sarks or flesh. Flesh, as we know it, is this skin covering, which unfortunately most people think of when they hear the word flesh. God didn't put your skin covering away. That'd be weird. What he put away was this particular definition of flesh, and that is mere human nature. The earthly nature of man, apart from divine influence, therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. So that flesh, the part that is just mere human nature, the part that is prone to sin, the part that is opposed to God, he cut it away from you. You are no longer, by nature, prone to sin. You are no longer, by nature, at enmity with God. You are cohesive with God. You are one with God. He gave you a new heart in this circumcision, and He put His Spirit within you in this circumcision. And we talked about the idea of this divine surgery that God does on you. What does that look like? And, you know, I suggested sit and meditate in that a little bit. Some of you artists even paint what that might look like, you know. I mean, I, I see kind of a literal but also metaphorical image of God suiting up to go to surgery, and He does a deep work within you. And he removes the disease. He removes that root of sin out of you, that nature that is opposed to him, that nature that's prone towards sin. He takes it away and he gives you a new heart. And in this new heart is genetically encoded obedience from the heart. It's genetically encoded the law. In other words, the best way to live in this life. Not for righteousness, but because you are righteous. He's done a work within you to change you so that you are in right standing with him. Then he puts a new internal operating system within you that's just like him so that you can live and follow him naturally, not prone towards sin. It's a big deal. You don't have two natures within you battling. You have a mindset that remembers what it was like to have a flesh inner core that was prone to sin. You still like some of the sin that you fall into, 
That's why you gravitate toward it. Not because it's by nature. That's why, you know, sin isn't as fun anymore when you're a believer. You know what I mean? By the way, sin is not a list of the fun things that God wants you to stop doing. It's a list of the things that are killing you. No matter how much you enjoy them or are addicted. You were dead in sin, but now you are alive in Christ. Your old nature was removed from you and replaced with Christ's righteousness. That's the gospel. In that is the power of God unto salvation to bring about transformation. Internally, you already are complete in Him, and now it's a mind renewal process to live that out externally. So today, I wanted to go through, I actually just want to read straight through this. You know, there's something about just kind of reading Scripture together. I will stop and comment a little bit, but this will piggyback into the next two weeks, really, this idea of exchange, because... You know, we've talked about some of the theology and some of the doctrine and Romans and all that, and we're going we're to go now into kind of the effects of the gospel. What does it mean for you to be complete in Him? What does it mean for you to be a joint heir with Christ? What does it mean for you to be set free and have your sins removed from you, your, your sin removed from you? You know, this idea that God doesn't see your sins, He sees them. Like if you, so like as a Christian, if you still choose to sin, it's still sin. And it will still bring death into your life. But it's not God bringing about the effects of death as judgment. It's just sin on its own produces death. And, and it's not that God doesn't see your sinful actions now. He does. He's just not holding them against you. And the religious mind says... Well, that's going to make people want to sin. Well, I know what's in your heart if you think that. But in actuality, what it does in a mature heart is it produces the desire to protect that freedom, to protect that realm of holiness that God has prepared within you to live inside of. I mean, think about it. The people that you're in relationship with, the ones that you know got your back and love you, you don't want to disrupt that relationship. You don't want to dishonor them. You don't want to use them. So, Isaiah 52, 13, and we're just going to read straight through, stop and comment a little bit. We're in the New American Standard. I want, you know, now that we're done with the book, if you're going to go back and, and get caught up, that's good too. But um, make this your exercise for this week. Either daily go and read this or get as far into it as you can and sit down, you know. I went and looked up at pretty much every word, but I, I just felt like I don't want to stop too much on the details of the words, even though it's powerful. We're focusing on the great exchange. Now, this is Isaiah. This is like 700 years before Jesus, and he's telling us what this Messiah would come and do. Now, even today, Jews don't like this chapter because of how accurate it is in describing Jesus. Even today, there's still an expectation of God's Messiah to come to restore Israel, the religious ones, but not through a suffering Messiah. This, this is kind of in the theological world considered the suffering Messiah section. So, are you ready? 
Now this, just think about this. Now get a picture here. Seven, this is 27, what, 2,800 years ago-ish. 2,750. <laughs> Sorry, my C's kicking in. I'm like, anyway, long time ago. Long time before Jesus. And this dude's sitting there, probably next to a candle, maybe a fireplace. You've seen pictures of Isaiah, right? (laughs) Paintings, whatever. Just imagine what an Old Testament prophet might look like. I think they were considered a little weird back then. You know, they were eccentrics. You know, they weren't necessarily readily accepted in culture. They'd show up naked walking through town, you know, (laughs) hide in caves, eat locusts and honey. And, you know, so this guy is just, just a dude hearing God tell humanity what he was going to do in his son. Isaiah sitting there, writing this down. Writing something down which God himself in the form of man would come and announce his public ministry reading what this man wrote about him. Think about that. Jesus showed up and read the words of Messiah or read the words of Isaiah about him. This day, this is fulfilled. He would come and preach freedom to the captives, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And he says, this day, what this man wrote 700 years ago is fulfilled. And he, and he says, behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high. And now 700 years later, what words are you holding on to that didn't happen last week? Patience. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. In fact, Philip, would you follow me along on this one? Just as, just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man. So you get this picture of Jesus hanging up on that cross and it wasn't, it wasn't just the whipping and the beating that was affecting his body. It was also the effects of the sin of the entire world being put into him. Just like under the old covenant system, you bring your sacrifice to the priest. The priest would inspect the sacrifice to make sure that it was without blemish and acceptable sacrifice. He would then provide splachnizomai. I always sound German when I say that. But he would transfer your sin to the sacrifice, and that sacrifice died for your sin, but it was temporary. That blood covered your sin, but what the blood of Jesus does is remove the mere human nature that is prone to sin. And because of the effects of that, what he did for you in his body, it says that he was marred more than any man. So if you were to see a line of every person that had been ever crucified, he was the worst. Like, I've read even some, some dis- descriptions, and it says you couldn't even hardly recognize that he was human. Like, just a piece of meat hanging up there because of the effects of sin, our sin, in him. And, and, f- and his form, more than the sons of men, so worse than anybody. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him, for what had not been told them they will see and what they had not heard, they will understand. 
who has believed our message? Who has believed the report of the Lord? It's a great question. Who has believed the gospel? Now we're in Isaiah 53, 1. And, and I think the church needs to be saying that to people. Who Are you going to believe this report? Are you going to believe the good news? And to whom has the arm or the authority of the, the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. You know, so Jesus was just a dude in a sense of like how he presented himself. You know, that's why when he went into his hometown, he couldn't do many miracles because they're looking at him like, well, we know this guy. They couldn't receive from him because he just, he, they, he just was one of them. You know, it wasn't like from birth, they're like, oh, there goes the Son of God. One day he's going to do some amazing things. I mean, his mom probably thought that, you know, all our moms think that. <laughs> No stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. No appearance that we should be attracted to him. Verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men. Now, this is the exchange, right? So when you're in your darkness and when you're overburdened by life, know this. He did this for you. Not just so that you can go to heaven not just so that you can experience His promises, but even deeper than that, the emotional healing that comes. You've been betrayed, despised, rejected, having a hard time in your marriage, whatever it is that's going on with you, your kids won't speak to you, you've been unjustly treated. The emotional pain, Christ dealt with that so that you can have peace within Him. I'm not saying you just ignore it. It's there, but there's such a peace and what He went through for you to give you the spiritual fruit of patience because of what He experienced for all of humanity if we can just live within the victory of what He provided for us. I think we hear more testimonies of deep emotional healing and restoration in this place because of the focus on the gospel. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief and like, no, uh, and like one from whom... Men hid their face. He was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he bore himself. Now that word griefs, it's interesting. You look it up in the Hebrew. It's diseases. I mean, a disease will give you some grief, won't it? But that's what it is, diseases. He bore our diseases himself. And our sorrows he carried. I remember when we were in Paca and in Kenya and we'd preached and I didn't, you know, it was just amazing these miracles that were happening. And like the third day they came and they were giving us testimonies of all these healings and stuff. And, and a guy said, the through the translator, the translator said, even my sorrows are healed. <laughs> and I was just like, man, that got me. I remember I can see the guy standing there saying that. Even my sorrow, this guy that's depressed, he's trying to survive every day, watching famine and death around him, and, he, and, he, and the joy of the Lord rises up in him. Powerful. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So that's, that's the Jews essentially said, well, your God has abandoned you and rejected, rejected you because they were expecting this Herodian conquering king to come in and restore Israel. 
They weren't expecting a king to come in and go to the darkest places of humanity for us to die for us to set us free that way. They were looking for liberation by force. He came in and offered liberation from the world. Not just an oppressive regime, but from the oppression of the world. That's what he set us free from. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities or sins. The chastising for our well-being or the chastisement needful for us to gain peace, as King James says it, was upon him. So in other words, sin has to be paid for in the body of the sinner. But you can't pay for it because you're not a proper enough sacrifice, so Jesus paid for it. Chastisement, the chastisement needful for us to gain peace was on him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Not the whipping, necessarily. It wasn't a Roman whip, and in that is our healing. It's the disease that God put into him, the scourging that God did in taking your penalty and even your the result of sin, meaning death, and putting it into him. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Not one of us have not. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all, say all, all. to fall on him. Like, like, I just see, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an, I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm seeing the cross and I'm seeing as much as I can from that spiritual side of God as the high priest over this sacrifice doing this for us, setting us free, setting humanity free to be free in Him. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He prayed. Jesus prayed before. He, Jesus knew this was coming. He'd read this. Like, He knew what was coming. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I personally think the greatest test of Jesus' faith was not really, I mean, this is as bad as it was, but the greatest test of Jesus' faith was after he died and was in the grave, still believing that God would restore him and make his enemies his footstool. Like if you go through and you read Psalms as precedented in Acts 2, David prophesied the words of the suffering Messiah from the grave. Not David from the grave, but the Messiah from the grave. Jesus died and went into the darkest place and the lowest places of the earth where humans could go and still believed what God said to him through Isaiah even. And then that faith in God's faithfulness pulled him up out of that grave. That faith is in you. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, Galatians 2.20, Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You live by his faith. It's like it takes faith to live by his faith. Like you have your own faith, but what you do is you then take that faith and you place it in him 
And then from then on, there's a faith of his, that is his faith that is available for you to live on. How do you get that to work? I don't know. It's between you and the Father. It's between you and the Holy Spirit to go into that place of intimacy and you come out with a confidence that he is in you and is with you and will work through you and will strengthen you. Nobody can teach you how, to, how, how that process works. We can paint the picture as clearly as possible, but you go into that intimate place and you settle those things in your own heart and walk in that power and in that faith. Nobody can do it for you. And it's not your faith needing to be strong enough. It's you becoming so convinced of his love for you. Like Bob had a revelation. Well, I'm okay with you, Bob. Now, I, I'll paint Bob's picture a little bit more. Bob's the kind of person, you know, we might think, well, he ripped up the Bible. That's bad. But no, this is like someone who highly esteemed the Word of God for 40 years. Like the Word of God was it. You know what I mean? Like, like imagine your most prized thing defiling that. You know, so what, this wasn't just, I'm ripping up my Bible. It was like this thing that represents God himself. I'm ripping that up. You got to go into that place and have that revelation. You're okay with me. You're okay with me. And then this freedom sets in. You're like, man, this is powerful. Like sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? In other words, he went into the realm of the dead for us to conquer that place too so that death no longer has power over us in him. For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Now this is Isaiah speaking to the Jews, but we are, you know, this whole Galatians thing now, the true children of Abraham by faith. So his grave was assigned with the wicked, with wicked men, yet he, was a, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Now, a lot of people don't like this because they want to remove the wrath of God as if God was never actually angry with people. Some people will twist this and say that it was man's wrath that was put on Christ. No, God was wrathful. You ever heard of the flood? <laughs> That's what the wrath of God can and will do. Kill them all justifiably so. Like, let's just not gloss over the legitimate wrath of God towards sin. But he put it in Jesus. Uh, it pleased the Lord because he knew the effect of it for you. Like, it pleased God to do this because you could then be joined to him forever. See, you have to know the value that you have to God. Undeserved. But, but that's, this is how much He values us. This has to define how we see ourselves and other people. If He would render Himself as a guilt offering, which He did, 
He will see his offspring. That's you. He will prolong his days and the goodness and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. The anguish of his soul. But his knowledge of the righteous, but by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong or the inheritance. You are a joint heir with him. That's what it's talking about. Uh, Because he poured himself out to death, he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Now, Isaiah 54. Just a few more and we're there. Now, Isaiah 54 lends itself more to a Hebrew or Jewish mindset, so there's some things in here that we don't fully grasp, but other prophets it touches on to the nation of Israel itself, but we can still get meaning out of it. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child, break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you have, you who have not travailed, for the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Now that's quoting, I think, Jeremiah, but enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwelling, spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your pegs. So he's like, the Israelites had waited for God to set them free so they could increase. Now the promise to Abraham was that they would be kings, a priest to all nations, through which all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he promised to them, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. There were also prophecies about them being set up as kind of kings and priests all over the whole earth. And the religious among them came in and kind of turned that into the Jewish prosperity gospel in that we're going to be the ones that are fat and happy and they're all going to be coming to us and we're going to rule the earth. You know, that mindset is still even in the church today, but that's not really what he was talking about. He was talking about making you a humble, serving nation of priests through which you help others experience the blessing of God. wasn't really necessarily talking about an empire. He was talking about his kingdom in the way that Jesus talks about his kingdom, and that is it doesn't come with outward observation. You're not going to say, oh, there it is or it's over here. It's in you. For you will be spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. And I dare say the hearts of people are the desolate cities that shall be restored. The church, to fulfill this, is to go into the world and restore those desolate hearts, to set those people free, to set at liberty them that are bruised, them that are stuck, them that are guilt and shame ridden because of their failure. Set those people free. That is where the king needs to reign is in the hearts of the people who are sitting in darkness, afraid, ashamed, feeling guilty, not knowing that God loves them, running from God because of how the church has poorly represented God. Those are the people that we as kings and priests go in and liberate from that enemy because he did it for us. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, and do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. 
but you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker. This one gets me. And I've just sat and thought about this. This is God describing himself, describing the kind of relationship that he is enacting with you through Christ. And he says, the Lord your maker is your husband. We are the bride of Christ. Every woman is the son of God and every man is the bride of Christ. So, you know, when people flip genders, I'm not saying it's okay. That's weird. But don't get so upset about it because you're considered the bride of Christ and you're a dude. I know that's a little weird, but I just... Don't misinterpret that. That's just, that's just me. Like Clint came out in a little weirdness for just a minute there, but it's all right. But think about it. God describes himself as your husband, joining himself to you. God, to take care of you. A healthy, a healthy husband takes care, keeps himself fit and pure to take care of his wife. Not because she's this weak little thing, but because he loves her. God describes himself as your husband. And he's, yes, nation of Israel, yes, nations, but individually, whose name is the Lord of hosts. It's almost like this tender thing, but then back to the Lord of hosts. In other words, the conquering king who is more powerful than any army that exists. That's what he's talking about there. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel who is called the God of all the earth. Verse 6, for the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit. Do you feel forsaken and grieved in spirit? Or your husband is calling out to you. The Lord, your God, your maker, the Lord of hosts, the creator of the heaven and earth is calling out to you to restore you. He's like, let me just come and take you out for a nice dinner. Let you just forget about the stuff for tonight. Let's just forget about what the kids did. Forget about what your mama said. Let's just go have a good time relax, me and you, you know. Even like, a wife's, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I forsook you. It's almost like talking directly to Jesus here. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you, now, outburst, I don't think is the proper term here. I don't like the way that NASB says that because that, it's not an outburst as if God couldn't control himself. It's a display of anger. But the point being, it's temporary. He's, his mercy endures forever, but his anger lasts for but a short time. And, and even now, God is not angry, which we're going here. And in a, in a display of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you. Like just that. A lot of people in the church don't know that. God is not mad at you. He is seeking to display everlasting loving kindness toward you forever. Now, does that make you want to run out and sin? says the Lord your Redeemer. 
for this is, this meaning, everything that he just says about himself, everything that I just said. This is like the waters of Noah to me. When I swore that the waters of Noah would no longer flood the earth, so have I sworn. God has sworn. Do you think he keeps his promises? That I would no longer be angry with you. Why? Because he poured it all out in Jesus already. God is not mad at you, and he never will be. Even the world, because he judged their sin in Christ too. Christ is that once and for all propitiation for sin, not for us, but also for the entire world. So even in that last day when when those people that have not accepted Christ experience that separation and are cast into the lake of fire, it's not in anger that God does that. It's in sorrow that they didn't receive and enter into the, the, the sacrifice in Christ which He offers to them. That's a dark day. I think God is going to, it breaks His heart. So have I sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. Now, you have to bring that into the new covenant when it talks about that God chastises and scourges those whom He loves to properly understand, well, he must not be doing it out of anger or judgment or punishment. He's doing it from a place of love, so it must not be a punishment. It must be a correction and a redirection. You know, God still will come into your life and say, hey, no, wait a minute. No, no, that's wrong. Don't go that way. I've set you free from that. And that might feel like condemnation, but it's not a condemnation unto judgment It's a correction unto righteousness. I will not be angry with you or rebuke, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may pass, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord God who has compassion on you. Now, will you repent and believe the gospel? Because what happens is the next time you sin and fail and miss it, or the next time you're mad at God and you're ripping up your Bible and throwing it in the dumpster, will you remember that He's not just waiting to tee up that judgment? Will you remember how He sees you and He's looking at you to bring you back into this relationship with Him that you tried to walk away from because you got mad at this world? What about those people in our lives that have turned their back on God and walked away from the church because the church hasn't taught them this about who God really is? A lot of people don't know. I remember having conversations with Bob, 40 years follow God. He's like, why didn't I know this? Why didn't people teach me this? I don't know. Personally, for me, it's all I've ever known. I didn't grow up in church. And when I got saved, this is the first stuff that I heard preached. Praise God for that. But there are people out there that don't know the gospel. They've heard a bit, but it's not in their heart. It's in their mind. They mentally assent to the doctrine, but it's not not changed them. It's not not a place of intimacy. And some people experience it, and then life beats them down to the point where they forget about it. And and they're just kind of wandering out there. It's, oh, man, I want to bring those people in. That's the mission. Take the gospel out and set the captives free. Amen? Are y'all in? Because I'm in. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep doing it. We'll just be over here preaching the gospel 
setting people free from the darkness that is in their hearts so they will know the freedom they have in Christ. Amen? Let's stand up and just put our hearts on him and be thankful. Father, we thank you. We love you. We trust you. I repent. I change my mind. I turn away from what the world has done to me over the past couple of years, and I turn back to you, and I put my attention on you, and I, I change my mind about all that stuff. I don't want to live in the oppression of this world. I want to live in the freedom of your kingdom, and it's in my heart. You've placed heaven in my heart, and that's where I experience you, and then I want to take that into the world to show people what freedom really looks like in spite of what might be happening in the world around us. We trust you. We love you. I speak life and health over every single person in this place. I speak generosity and supernatural provision over every single person in this place. And as the weeks go on and we round out the effects of your gospel, we're going to look at the promises that are available to us because of who you are. Not something that we got to faith into action, but just trust and believe. We set our hearts to you. We, we love you. We trust you. Just, just take just a moment. Think about something that stands out to you in this today. Just, just make a mental note of it. Thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that, yes. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you that your spirit is alive and active compelling us into those areas of passion, bringing healing about in our bodies, that our, that our gifts are being tuned up, that our gifts are being uh, reignited within us so that we step out and we function as your body, powerful body in this earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the Lord God Almighty. You are the Messiah the king, the preeminent one. You know, I just, I just see him, his spirit, wanting to minister for just a moment. We make room for your spirit, Lord. We trust you. We love you. Even when we don't know what's happening, we know that your spirit is alive and active. Your spirit is going into our lives and touching these circumstances even before we ever even ask. You know what we need before we ask. Father, I, I just I take the limitations off. Have free reign in my life, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We trust you. We yield to you. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> and I, I, I want to trust him more than I trust anything else. Amen.